So last week, um, we spoke about the love of God and the potency, if you will, uh, of the love of God. And I'm going to kind of tag on to that. This You might consider this part two. Um, so that God's nature is love. He cannot help but love. It's, it's who God is. It's not just simply something he does, but it's God's very nature uh, is to love. Um, one of the ways that we know this is if we're reading the scriptures and the story of redemptive history, these historic stories, we can see God interacting um, before Christ and indeed through Christ um, where he is, in a sense, wooing people to himself. Um, it's usually pretty covert in the way he's doing it. Again, um, God's love is not manipulative or coercive. He's not trying to trick you. He's being himself, but he's not going to force his love on you. We could put it this way. It's about persuasion. God, through Christ, is trying to persuade you of who he is. And so just a question to kind of frame some of the things we're thinking about this morning. Did Jesus love the woman at the well, the story we've just heard from the gospel, the Samaritan woman, did Jesus love her more after she began to understand who he was than before that recognition? Did Jesus love the Samaritan woman more after she began to realize who he was than before she knew who he was at all? And of course, I want you to go a step further. Uh, does God love you or me more now that we have been reconciled to him through the cross than he did beforehand. Did God's love for you or me change because of something that has happened? And it's an important question. Does something have the power to change God's love? Well, if you're anything like me, grew up in kind of typical evangelical Christianity, you ask a typical evangelical Christian, you know, what is the gospel? What, what is the whole kind of content of what we believe? What's this all about anyway? What's the, the bottom line? And um, I think in some form, that answer would always reflect, we are sinners separated from God, but Jesus died for us so, so that we can be reunited with God and go to heaven for eternity. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound close? Would you say something similar to that? Uh, I think that it is pretty close. But today's reading from Romans gives us a completely um, new perspective on that. It wants to reframe what I've just said and what we typically believe the gospel to be, uh, which is that there was something that changed it caused God to love us more. That line from Romans says, but God proves. I'm not going to define that, you know, what a proving something is. You're showing evidence. I guess I am going to define it. You're going to, you show evidence for something that is, is true. You prove it to be. But, but God proves his love for us that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. There's a, another translation that puts it this way. Herein, 
is the extremity of God's love. Humanity was rotten to the core when Christ died their death. Now remember what he says right before that. He says, um, you know, maybe for a good person somebody would die. And that's an if, right? Maybe someone would die for a righteous person. But for a crummy person, the answer is, well, the typical answer would be no. You don't die for a crummy person. They're crummy. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's crass, but that's, um, that's kind of what Romans is saying is it's hard enough to think that you would sacrifice yourself for a good person, much less a bad person. And he says, but God proves his love that while we were rotten to the core and sinners, this is when he pours himself out. So his love existed um, for us before we ever recognized who he was, right? The question I asked you beforehand, did God love the Samaritan woman or us after we began to understand who he was? Absolutely not. And this verse says that. He proves his love for us that while we were his enemy, he dies for us. So last week, um, I gave you a little bit of uh, Huey Lewis in the news. And by Holy Spirit inspiration, we talked about the darkness for a minute. Um, And a few of you know who the darkness is. But again, go Google them. I believe in a thing called love. So this week, we won't go in the rock and roll vein. We'll... We'll look at this um, through Charlie Pride's eyes. I love Charlie Pride. Got a chance to see him when I was a kid in West Texas. Um, He has a a song called I Know One. I Know One. And the, the verse goes like this. And, of course, he's speaking about romantic love, but I just take the ride with me as we think about this through God's eyes. When all your loves have ended, when all your friends have flown, who will be around to love you when all your loves have gone? Only a fool would do it after the things you've done. How many fools would love you? I know one. He's saying it of himself. You've treated me wrong. You've done all this thing. You've betrayed me. You've done... You know, all you're running around. It would be a, take a fool to still believe in you and actually want to love you. And he says, but I know a fool like that. Me. And that's what Romans is saying about God. What kind of fool would love us after what we've done? The things that we've done. And we've even come close and probably played nice with God and then we've walked away again our own kind of betrayal. How many fools would love you after the way you've done? If you need a fool who'll forgive you, the song also says, I know one. You see, sin doesn't alter God's attitude about us, and yet we think it does so much that... um, God was, and I don't have time to do this, and I'm sorry I don't. I'm almost already running long. There was a, a, a passage in there about God's wrath. 
It says the wrath of God, so that we'd be safe from the wrath of God. First of all, if you go to the original text, that of God is not in the transcript. It's not in the text. It just says being saved from the wrath. And um, the translators added of God in there. That wrath is, as I said, I think last week or at some point, we're wired to live within the love and joy and goodness of God. And we, when we orient our lives away from that, um, we experience pain, not because God is punishing us, but because the universe has been wired to walk in the way of love. And we're trying to live out an experience that is against our nature, which is to love and be loved. And so you could say we're experiencing the wrath. Uh, we're experiencing living in a way that we should not live. Um, let me put it this way. Uh, we're meant to kind of live in a... Um, um, let's, oh, let me say it this way. If we're incredibly th too thin or morbidly obese, our body was not meant to live that way, and so we hurt, and our body doesn't function like it's supposed to. Is our body punishing us? Well, you could say, yeah, the, our body is producing some wrath because it wasn't meant to live that way, but it's not trying to be mean and punitive to us. It's just not the way we were meant to live, right? The body's saying there's something wrong. Um, I, I'm in pain, and I'm showing you this. Put that on the kind of the cosmic level. When we're living outside of the love of God and looking for love in all the wrong places, like Johnny Lee sang about, uh, whether it's in medicating ourselves or whatever it is, we've experienced emotional uh, pain and trauma, and it's simply because we're not living as we were designed to live. That's the wrath. Does that make sense? It's not an active punishment, and that's what I'm, I, I think... This is Jesus. He's trying to persuade us that God loved us well before sin ever entered the picture, and it didn't change anything. Our sin does not, does not, does not separate us from God. Romans 8, 32nd or 38th verse, one of my favorite passages. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation. So he's trying to cover all his bases there, right? Things past, things present, nothing in the future. There are no angels. There's, it can't be death. None of, this, none of this what? Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Can't be done. I know we like to say that my sin has separated me from God. Well, then you've got to take this up with the Apostle Paul. Because he's saying, no, it didn't. Never has. You cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ. Impossible. You don't have the power, and neither does death or angels or rulers or any of these other things. Cannot be done. In fact, these are the, this is the purpose of the parables in Luke 15. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son. What? All of these things lost, and the, the one who loves is in pursuit of them. Right? I'm going to go find the lost sheep. Let's just talk about that for a second. Oh, boy. Um, the lost sheep. Sheep typically don't wander away from the flock 
um, out of rebellion. That's not what they're thinking. Well, I'm not going to live like the rest of these chumps. I'm gonna, <laughs> they're what? They're hungry or thirsty. They hear something over there, and, you know, it's just, it's like shiny objects, and we all look, and, you know, they're just, they're, ignorant they're just they're just trying to go find something to drink they're not trying to leave safety and so but the one the shepherd goes after them and when he finds the sheep it never says that he berates the sheep or chastises the sheep or draws the sheep a map and says if you want to get your act together this is where we're going to be but it's up to you to get back no the shepherd, it says, picks up that sheep and puts it around his neck like a scarf. And because the sheep is going to be flustered a bit, the shepherd, this was, this was the way they would do it, they would whisper kind of sweet nothings into the sheep's ear to calm that sheep down as they carried the sheep back home. Sin, the walking away, never separated the love of the shepherd from the sheep, ever. However... When we walk away, we can indeed experience what feels like estrangement. We can experience what feels like the absence of God. But God is not absent. But we can feel that way in our shame and guilt. And so we then put all of our chips in that basket and say, this must be the truth. God's not here because I don't feel like he's here. But he's there. He's more true than your feelings and my feelings. And yes, those feelings are saying what to us? What I was trying to say earlier, something's not right. I'm, I'm not living as one of God's beloved. And so he is uh, trying to woo me back. All right, let me end with this. The wooing back the proving that he loves us um, is never through threat or intimidation, again, which is often how we think about it. If you don't, then there's bad consequences. There's already bad consequences, and we've been living in them, <laughs> right? Um, we would never... Um, in our right minds, let me qualify that, we would never in our right minds treat somebody that we dearly loved that way. We would try to woo them back. And so this is important. And the reason I wanted to say this to you this morning is for everyone here, for all of us here, because I'm in this camp as well, any of us that have an indifferent child who could care less about God and certainly is not going to be a Christian because my folks are Christians and I found out plenty of things they did wrong and this is probably another one. Or we have an angry sibling or an angry spouse or an angry parent who is mad at God because something didn't turn out the way they wanted it to or there was a tragedy and they're attributing it to God and so they're angry with God. So all of us who have loved ones who feel alienated from God and are experience absence either through indifference or anger or trauma or whatever it might be, they are not separated. God is walking with them 
through that entire event. In fact, as sheep have wandered away, they are the lost sheep. He's walking into the wilderness to find them. That's the story of redemption. If we can't believe that, then it's a transactional religion where if it's if then. If you'll do this, then God will do this. And we hold all the cards in that. That's not who God is. He is always pursuing us. There is, however, our part to play. And that's participation. He's inviting us into his life to participate and receive what the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. But we don't have to live there. He's, he respects us enough to protect our ability to say no. That's love. Protect your ability to say no and not force anything. But he's looking at the long-range game. He's just going to keep wooing you and wooing me. The Father of Jesus loves humanity and loves you and me absolutely, irrevocably, unconditionally, eternally. Spin out and consider the implications of that this week. There is nothing you can do to make God stop loving you because there's nothing you did to make him start loving you. He does, period. And that is what discipleship is as a believer in Christ. It's continuing to participate in and spin out the implications of the lover of our souls because we're always waiting for the shoe to drop or that there's some fine print we didn't know about and missed and find ourselves excluded. The new covenant sealed in Christ's blood says in his final terms as it can be that God loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen.